Welcome to the Broadband Bunch, a podcast about broadband and how it impacts all of us. Join us to learn about the state of the industry and the latest innovations and trends. Connect with the thought leaders, pioneers, and policymakers helping to shape your future through broadband. The Broadband Bunch at Mountain Connect 2021, brought to you by ETI Software, your zero-touch automation experts. By Calix, simplify, excite, grow. By DXTEL, creators of the Harper Broadband Marketing Library. By ITK Solutions Group, process first, technology second. And by Utopia Fiber, building a more connected nation. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Broadband Bunch. This is Pete Pizzatello and we are live at Mountain Connect 2021 in beautiful Keystone, Colorado. So I'm getting uh, an opportunity to sit outside these beautiful mountains and connect with Lucas and Ryan. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us, Pete. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here. uh, I'll ask you a couple questions about what brought you here to the event. Um, So really, we're here kind of just to uh, make sure that we're, we're... bringing the, the local perspective to the, the event. I mean, there's a lot of people here that work with municipal governments um, on broadband build-outs, on um, adoption programs, on, on all sorts of stuff. So really what we want to do is make sure that we're saying, please continue to do that. We want to forge as many partnerships as we can. Um, all the new broadband money that's coming down the pike is going to be really great, um, but it's only going to be good if we can make sure that it's getting spent in a way that that actually brings people together and connects residents. So we're here. We're here to be a resource uh, into kind of what's happening at the municipal level for anyone who's here. Yeah, and we're excited to be with all of our industry partners. You know, we bring the stories of over 220 municipalities from coast to coast in over 40 states, um, and we recognize that at the end of the day, municipal governments are the most important partner and facet of the conversations we're having this week. And we're excited to bring their stories with us and make sure that they are a part of every single conversation that's happening at Mountain Connect. Yeah, you guys are doing some amazing work. And before we get into that, I mean, so Lucas, how did you end up working for uh, Next Century Cities? What was the path that led you here? Yeah, so I actually was introduced to Next Century Cities when I was in college at the University of Virginia. Um, And I moved up to Washington to get my master's in public policy in 2019. And originally came on as the membership manager part-time for Next Century Cities when I started graduate school. Um, We did a big revamp of growing our membership base and really reconnecting with our mayors, our county executives, our town presidents of all sizes. And I've been with the organization for about two years now as a result. Um, I've grown through some policy work and now sort of in managing our portfolio for partnerships and campaigns, both with our members and also looking at places in DC and across the country where we can connect, whether it's with industry partners, uh, groups like AARP, anyone who is sort of having this conversation um, my work started very niche with, you know, municipal networks and what can municipalities do. And through Next Century Cities, it's very much grown into the wide breadth of solutions that our members pursue and how many people can we bring to the table and into the conversation to be a part of it. That's great. Ryan? And, well, I'll say we'll, we'll have to go back a little bit. Uh, 2008 is kind of when I really got interested in broadband. Um, I grew up in a very rural town in, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And we didn't have a lot of, of connectivity. You know, we didn't, I didn't have internet access in my house until 2008. That's wow. why I say that. Um, so I always kind of knew going through high school, college, uh, law school, that I wanted to do something in broadband. And when 
I was put in contact with Next Century Cities, I was like, this is it. This is how we really make the meaningful connections between what's happening on the ground, what the challenges and assets of each community are, and how we really bring that to the people that that are in charge of making the changes. Um, so when, while I was in law school, I had the opportunity to work at the Federal Communications Commission, the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, um, and for a couple of other trade associations. And really all of the things that I saw were everybody's tackling these huge issues, but nobody's really asking what's happening on the ground, what are municipal leaders facing. And so when I had the opportunity to come work for NCC, I said, yeah, absolutely, this is something that we need to be focused on because that's where the changes are going to happen. Um, that's really how we go from people not being connected to people being connected in the most efficient way that we possibly can. And you know, now that we're seeing so much growth in the area, it's no longer asking about, well, how do we deploy? How do we get affordable service to people? We are now talking about you know, what does good digital literacy look like? What does good cybersecurity look like? What are, the, what are the challenges that we might not have thought about before when we look at digital redlining or digital discrimination? Um, making sure that we're addressing the actual root causes of the digital divide um, and seeing like, okay, municipality um, in X state, what are the challenges you're facing? And then trying to collect those stories. So when Lucas brings a member in and they have stories, how do we, how do we operationalize that at the federal level and say, here is the actual problem that you're trying to address. Well, thanks for that. And we're lucky as an industry to have young, passionate folks like yourselves. I mean, we need more of that. And that's something at that the Broadband Munch we're trying to, to get some, uh, shed some light on the folks that you, like yourselves, that are doing some great work. Um, but there, there's a lot packed into what you all just said. You know, and, and sitting through the Broadband 101 workshop yesterday, there's probably 40-some communities in there. And starting from the basics of what is broadband? What does spectrum mean, right? The, they're drinking from a, a fire hose. Uh, and, and so, you know, what, uh, what can we do as an industry, right, to really help kind of demystify and, and not, not to overuse that term, but make it more snackable for folks that are municipal leaders that are in charge of the mission that you just mentioned about digital inclusion or closing the digital divide. You know, what, what are we doing a disservice and how can we do some things differently? I think the first thing, and this comes from this morning's panel where Chris Mitchell sort of intervened and Ryan was on the panel and convincing people not to use acronyms. And I think a lot of times this is an industry that, you know, there's a very high barrier to entry and I've been researching this since undergrad, Ryan's been researching this through law school and since college. And there are still times where I sit in meetings and don't know what's happening and I do this full time year round. Right. And I think we have to understand that we have a lot of local officials across the country who we have career officials who work in IT and broadband, but this is their whole life. But a lot of elected officials and even people who work in affordable housing or in the school system, this isn't what they do full time. You know, they're balancing the priorities of running a community. And I think we have to empower them to feel like experts. When they come to the table with a question, we can't shun them and say, oh, how do you not know what Spectrum is? Or how do you not know what your assets are? We have to say, we understand that, you know, we're coming off an 18 month pandemic. We understand that this hasn't been your focus. So with things like Broadband 101 and sort of coming to them where they are, rather than saying, you need to be at our level, you need to know how to build middle mile networks, you need to know the intricacies. You know, they may not be experts on broadband right now, but they're experts on their community, which is something we aren't. And so we can work together on becoming experts on each other's topics. That's a great point. Yeah, and that's the, 
the big thing to follow on from that is there's, you know, we talk about the broadband gap or the homework gap, but there's a huge informational gap where we have all of the people that are cloistered away in D.C. or California that work on these issues day in and day out that really, you know, understand how all of this stuff ticks. But when we go out into the community and say, okay, cool, why aren't you building a open, uh, an open radio access network or a mesh network would serve your community really well, it's... We need to do less of telling communities what they should be doing and asking them, how can we help? Where do we start this process to get you in a place where you're comfortable making the decisions? Because that's what we need to be doing. We need to make sure that these communities feel empowered, not just to say, I feel like I can sit at the table with everyone, but to make sure that they feel empowered to make the decisions that are going to impact their communities. It's interesting, and this is probably a controversial statement, but there, you know, with the rush of money and the importance of this, uh, the spotlight on broadband, there is a a lot of consultancies that have cropped up and or have been around for some period of time, and I feel like municipal leaders, at least a subset, um, are almost all outsourcing that responsibility to somebody who's in a position of expert of knowledge, an expert. Um, but in a lot of cases, my concern personally is, you know, are they getting the best information for their community or for the long-term sustainability of the solutions that they're making? So how do you, are you talking to your, your partners, your constituents about making sure that we're not leading um, the municipalities in the direction that's self-serving, right? And th- how, do you, how do you, what's your guidance to the municipalities to think about how to unpack this for a longer term, more of a holistic view? And one of the things, one of the questions that we get a lot is where do we start? And oftentimes that's through something like a feasibility study. And even then communities are concerned that they might not have the money to complete one. They don't know who to talk to to get one done. And I think that's kind of the first interaction that a lot of municipalities have with a consultancy group is through these feasibility studies. And I think in at least some small regard, that's a little bit more neutral than it would be if they were going and looking for uh, more of a network-centered approach. Like, we want to build a fiber network, help us do that, right. versus can you help us uh, figure out what would be good for our community. But at the same time, we need to make sure that when communities are going out and doing all of this work, that they already have, and I, th- I think we're going to keep harping on this, is that they already have that information in their back pockets to say, I understand what the different technologies are that are out there. I understand what my, the needs of my community are. I understand, in a general sense, what funding opportunities are available and how we might be able to afford all of this stuff, depending on what we want to do. So we need to make sure that they're empowered to not fall into those traps. Right. Um, you know, consultancy groups are there as a resource, but we need to make sure that we're not just kind of sending these municipalities off and saying, you know, good luck, somebody will help you. And I think Ryan's point is good because the fact that that's what we're trying to do at NCC as well is to be a trusted resource. That right. even if we don't have the answer, we're going to point you to someone that we know is going to give you an honest answer and look out for you. Because, you know, Pete, we're, on, we're coming up on year seven this October of Next Century Cities, and we've gone from 34 mayors who came together and said, we trust each other. No one else knows what we're going through except for the 34 of us or you know, the other 10,000 mayors or executives in the country. And we've seen it continue to grow. And I think that's one thing that we harp on. It was in our you know, mission statement when we were founded. It's still in our mission statement today. But it's connecting these leaders to each other. Right. Because nobody will know, you know honest reviews of a consultancy or of someone helping with a feasibility study except for another mayor of your same size city who has used someone and can verify you know, they led us in the right direction, and these have been the benefits. Yeah, it's great. I think building that community and connecting those that are, are living through the same or have lived through it are really critical. 
Um, let's talk about funding, right? I mean, everybody's talking about funding, and it feels like it's hopeful, right, that there is finally going to be some appropriate funding to start solving this problem. But um, I think you all know that there are folks that are just not in the right place or have the right facility to capitalize on that opportunity. You know, so what are some of the biggest obstacles and misconceptions that you all see at a municipality level that are preventing folks from getting the funding that they need? Sure. So, I mean, first thing, I'll, uh, first thing I'll say is that the new infrastructure bill did pass the Senate this morning, so we're one step closer. Right. But uh, as for obstacles, really it comes down to manpower a lot of the time. Um, when we're looking at communities, they might have a very small administrative staff that doesn't have you know, the time in the day or doesn't have kind of the resources to go out and complete like a funding application, where they might not understand the rules about how they're supposed to uh, submit one of those. Uh, we were talking earlier today with a few people around here, but municipal leaders are not federal policy experts. They are, they're, they're experts in their community. They understand how to put out those fires, and they might not under, or they might not be able to uh, immediately say, okay, this is how we apply for state and local fiscal recovery fund money. And so making sure that all of the rules that come out of these different funding opportunities are easily uh, digestible for them, that they're clear, and that we can really make sure that the money is getting into their hands in a way that isn't overly taxing is incredibly critical uh, because you know, the, the goal of all of this money is to end up in their hands. Um, we shouldn't be kind of shielding it behind some kind of wall that unfortunately they have to go through a, a, a law firm or a consultancy group to actually get at. And I think we need to remember the way we've been talking about the infrastructure bill is for all of us, we recognize this is a once in a lifetime, you know, one of the largest investments in American history. So no one at this conference, no one in the country has dealt with this before. And I think we need to give local governments the space they need to develop the list of their needs and understand this is where the money needs to go. And it's, it will take time for them to fully understand the scope of their challenges and where they need to address things. But we cannot in one room say, this is the first in our lifetime investment, and then turn around and look at municipalities and say, well, why don't you have answers right now? Right. We have to remember that this is the first in their lifetime as well, doling out this amount of money. Well, that, that's an interesting, you know, the expectations we're finally putting the water on this fire, and it should be extinguished quickly. So what is the time horizon that we expected? You know, where are we 12 months, 24 months down the road from your perspective in terms of the maturity and the cadence of this process? I mean, that's a really good question. Um, I don't think that, I don't, I think if you ask a dozen different people, you get a dozen different answers. Um, at least for our part, we're really hoping that once we start to see, you know, the infrastructure package get fully passed and we start to see NTIA get uh, some of the, the rules put together, that we're really going to see a lot of community engagement on how these how these rules are going to get you know, put together and, and operationalized. So we're, you know, we're constantly pushing both NTIA and the FCC to reach out to municipal governments to say, how, do, how can we craft new rules, um, new funding opportunities in ways that will help you? So we're really hoping, at least I'm, very, I'm really hoping, and I think I can speak for Lucas when I say that, uh, that that's, the, that's what we're seeing you know, 12, 16 months down the line once the dust settles a little bit and we all kind of understand how exactly this is all going to work. And we're starting internally, I think, to have conversations about what partnerships do we need to bolster now while the bill is still in progress and while guidance is still being thought about so that when the time comes, you know, what partnerships do we need to forge at NTIA that we can get local leaders in the room with leaders there? What partnerships do we need to forge at the FCC so that these mayors and these county executives are having a direct line 
to people in Washington, that they're not having to Google questions or come to us frazzled, that they can pick up the phone or jump on their email and say, I need to know what I need to know. And sort of having those in place, and Ryan, I know he deserves all the kudos on this, and Corianne, who's our other policy counsel, because they have thought strategically since we first started hearing about this, who in governor's offices do we need to be in contact with? Who in DC do we need to be in contact with? And sort of making sure everything is in place for the moment that ball drops, right. that we can hit the ground running. Preparing the ground, that's great. What about the, the last question here is the pressure from um, the residents, the municipal leaders constituency. I mean, what, what's, are they getting some pressure like, hey, this money's coming, we should solve this problem? Because I can imagine there's a consumer expectation issue there of what that money means to those individuals, what the time frame is, what the impact to them over is long term. Right? Are, you, are you guys participating in any of that? I mean, I, I certainly think that there is. I mean, these are local officials that respond to their constituents at the grocery store or at the gas station. Um, they can't really escape, kind of like some of our, uh, they can't really escape the, the people that they serve. So we're really hoping that they're listening to their residents and saying, I understand what your concerns are and building towards that. I think some of the times when we see some conflict between mayors and their city councils or, or um, things like that, that we really kind of have to understand where those those ideologies are coming from or where those people are coming from to really kind of hit at the hit at the issues that those people are facing so that we can we can say okay if we need to make a compromise how do we make a compromise if we need to kind of scrap this plan and start over how do we do that because i don't think anybody should be afraid of saying oh this this didn't work out we should mothball it and, and try again because some you know some of the best work comes out of admitting that we've might not have looked at something in the right way and then starting over. So I think that making sure, kind of to loop back around, making sure that we're looking at what residents are saying and how their municipal leaders are responding to that is, is so critical. And I think we've heard for well over a year now, since last March, that city council meetings that you know went virtual, town council meetings, that people are talking about this. That everyday residents who didn't you know, pay any mind to their broadband bill previously, suddenly are showing up to every city council meeting to voice their opinion, you yeah. know, teachers, parents. And on a positive side of this, we've heard from officials from New England all the way to the Southwest that they're riding this motivational high, this extra attention, that they've been talking about this for years and they've had broadband champions on their town councils or in the mayor's office who finally have the public support and the pressure that they now can redirect this to maybe you know, local officials who haven't been as active and say, listen, residents are showing up. You know, I've had this plan in the works for years. Let's all get on board now together. And we had a community up in New England that the mayor had been pushing for years for a digital inclusion plan. And she finally got unanimous support from her city council last summer because there was that pressure that they sort of had to fall to their residents and say, you all want it. We have a plan. Let's pass it. Let's fund it. Let's do something. Right. I'm going to coin a phrase called the digital migration, right? And I feel like municipalities have a great opportunity, right? Where there's remote workers kind of redistributing across America um, and definitely looking for where they can actually set up camp. Uh, the same with the senior citizens, right? Where am I, where's my final, uh, my forever home, right? And looking at, well, I, I got to be there, but I need something where I could stream HBO Go and I have telehealth, you know, I can support those type of things. So that's my call to municipalities is kind of, shifting your brain a little bit more is not just, you know, this de deficiency that you're trying to resolve, but in the next five to 10 years, the, the municipalities that are positioned to take care of that opportunity, that's significant economic stability that a lot of 
a lot of municipalities are unfortunately not going to be able to take advantage of. Is that something that you guys are talking to them about? Yeah, so, I mean, and it's funny that you mentioned that because we just recently had a, a conversation with East Liverpool, Ohio, and we've brought this example up a lot. And they came to us, and, you know, we're, as a broadband organization, went into our meeting expecting that they were wanted to talk about how do I start the process of doing all of this and whatnot. But the first thing that they that the mayor wanted to talk about was people are leaving my town. How do I bring them back? How do I promote remote work? How do I promote people continuing to live here, uh, age in place, telehealth, things like that? So it was really, they had identified what the issues that they wanted to impact were. And they, found, like they figured out that it was like, broadband is a big part of this. And so they reached out to us to talk about it. So you know, there are a lot of municipal officials that are thinking about this. And it's one of those things that we need to keep incentivizing them to do so because broadband enables all of these things and so much more. And those are some of our favorite conversations because we then can direct them to NCC members that have been there since 2014, like Wilson, North Carolina and Chattanooga. And we can celebrate with them and say, look at these success stories of, you know, seven years down the line. Look where you could be. Right. And I've stood in the town square in Wilson and I've connected to their public Wi-Fi and seen just how much they've done. And we look at East Liverpool and say, this could be you. Right. Let's just take the steps to make it happen. Yeah, that's great. And I think there's an opportunity for a public-private partnership there because ISPs that are kind of the incumbents in those areas, that's unexpected churn, right? I mean, you lose people because of customer service and you can handle that. But when people just get up and move, now the next wave coming in, probably the tier one folks are going to have the first access to them because they just have deeper pockets to get there. So working with your municipality and understanding how you can collectively build that better e digital ecosystem or economy so that we all benefit. It's, it's something I'd like to see happen. I'm not sure, it probably is happening, but I, I'm not sure if it is. Well, I'll tell you, a great you know, public-private partnership we've seen, one of our member cities, Detroit. It's a large scale. It's different than sort of these smaller rural communities, but they saw a lot of population churn over the last decade or so, and they sat down and established a program called Connect 311, or 313, excuse me, Connect 313, where they partnered with Rocket Mortgage, which is based in Detroit, and a lot of the local ISPs and the Detroit government and some community partners and they have what I think I would describe as one of the best public-private partnership models in the country, where they bring together every stakeholder in the Detroit metropolitan area, and they say, private investment, public investment, where are we targeting, what are we doing to you know, revitalize Detroit and bring this economy back that Detroit has seen before, right. and their government knows they can do it again. So they are activating every possible resource from every sector to make it happen. Yeah, that'd be interesting in the next episode to check, dig in a little bit more with that example. Um, so I want to thank you for joining us, and uh, hopefully uh, you meet some, in there's a lot of folks here that need your help and your insight, so hopefully if I can direct some folks your way, I, I will. And um, I would like to come back six months, ten months from now and kind of figure out once the, the funding's out and, and get some early returns, if you will, and see what your thoughts are there. You guys are happy to come back. Yeah, we're Absolutely. always happy to be here. I mean, hopefully the hopefully things will be good, and uh, but I'm certain, I'm certain there'll be things to talk about. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of churn. So I appreciate it, fellas. Have a great show. Thank you, Pete. Thank you. you too.